Second Corinthians chapter five, beginning at verse ten. This is where we left off last week. Second Corinthians chapter five, beginning at verse ten. I have subtitled the book of Second Corinthians in the New Testament Second Wind. Because when Paul wrote this book, it was all about giving the Corinthians and giving us a second wind, a renewed energy to continue. And so almost everything that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians can come back to that theme. Paul wants to encourage us, refresh us, and give us that second wind. So last week, we looked at the first part of chapter 5 where he reminds us that really those of us who are most prepared to live and really enjoy life to its fullest and experience life at the highest level are those who have already made our preparations to die. That we know whose we are, that we know where we're going, and that we know what's going to happen to us the moment we close our eyes in death. In fact, Paul says in the very first verse of chapter 5, if this earthly tent that we live in, talking about our physical body, is somehow dismantled, we have an eternal body that God has prepared for us in heaven. And so we talked a lot about those things. We talked about the fact that Paul was certain that to be absent from the body, he says in verse 8, is to be present with the Lord in glory. And then tonight, before we dive back into sort of taking our eyes off of the heavenlies, if you will, and coming back down to earth, because that's sort of where we're living right now, is he wants to remind us of something else that hopefully will be an encouragement to us. Many people have such a misunderstanding of the judgment seat of Christ, even as a Christian. So Paul says in chapter 5, verse 10, for we must, it's a necessity, all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be paid back according to what he has done while in the body, whether good or evil. First of all, Paul says none of us will escape the judgment seat of Christ, even as a Christian. It is an absolute necessity for every believer but it is not a judgment seat that we are to fear in the greek the word judgment seat is the word bima it means a raised platform and because we're in the season of the olympics right now think of the raised platform that those olympic athletes those medal winners are on when they are receiving their medals That's the picture that Christians need to get in their mind when we talk about the judgment seat. See, a judgment seat in in Bible times wasn't always a negative thing. It was a place where we were, where people were acknowledged, where they were honored, where they were rewarded. And that's what that platform is at the Olympics. And that's what the Bema seat judgment for Christians is all about. Because folks, let me just remind all of us here who are born again Christians. That the the moment we accepted Christ as our Savior, our sin was judged on the cross of Jesus Christ. And there is never going to come a day where God is going to hold any sin against us because that sin was paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ once and for all. 
So when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, we are not standing in judgment of our sins. That was taken care of. That was paid for by Christ in full. What we will be judged for, notice, is the things that we have done while in the body. Now, this is interesting because Paul is saying it's not necessarily what our role is, what our occupation is, what we spend our life doing as far as position. It's what we're focused on. It's what we're preoccupied with. It's what we're busy with. In other words, anyone, we could have all kinds of different occupations, which all we have all kinds of different occupations represented here. And yet throughout our day, we can still be focused on bringing glory to God, on on being a, a Christ to those that we come in contact with. And that's what Paul was simply saying. And I love this. Usually when we think of paybacks on earth, that's not a good thing. But notice Paul says when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, each one is going to be paid back. Now again, we, we look at it, oh, I'm getting paid back. I don't like that. You know what they say about paybacks. Very interesting. The word in the original language means to be cared for. Well, that's a different way to look at payback. Cared for. I firmly believe that one of the insights that Paul is giving us here is even when we get to heaven, for probably most of us, there's going to have to be some further healing take place. That yes, God is the great healer who wants to begin healing our wounds and healing our hurts and healing our brokenness and our broken hearts right down here on earth. But, but God understands there's going to be some healing that's going to have to wait to take place at the very presence of God. God's going to care for us. In fact, the Bible tells us that even once we get to heaven, there's still going to be some tears shed for a while. Because the Bible says in the book of Revelation that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And I believe there will be some healing and care going on even once we get to glory but this word also implies rewarded that god is going to acknowledge the things that we've been focused on busy with preoccupied while in this earthly body before this body is laid down and he says whether good or evil meaning that the things that we've done in the body that were worthy of honor that were worthy of acknowledgement that were worthy of reward they will be taken care of and the things that we've done in the body that were of no account that were of no eternal consequence that were worthless they'll be burned up the bible says another passage you could refer to to get a little bit of a different angle on this is first corinthians chapter three if you'd like to read and study that sometime so these are the things that paul has said beginning in second corinthians 5 about what happens to a christian when they die and even what happens immediately after we die that he's hoping will give the corinthians a second win that as they live their life and put christ first and live for him and consecrate their life to him it will be worth it all paul says when we see jesus but now again beginning in verse 11 paul wants to take our eyes for a moment off of the heavenlies, if you will, and bring them back down to earth. Because the whole reason why God leaves us here on earth after we become a Christian, instead of just immediately zapping us to heaven, 
is because as we've seen already through 2 Corinthians 5, he wants to make himself known to others through us. He wants to use us to make himself known to others. And so that's why Paul comes back to this concept in 2 Corinthians 5.11 when he says, Therefore, based upon what's going to happen one day when I see Jesus in glory, because we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. Now, let's talk for a moment about this fear of the Lord. Again, sort of like the judgment seat that's very misunderstood. The word fear there in the Greek language is the word phobos, where we get our word phobia from. And it can either be, depending on the context that it's in in the Bible, either a healthy fear or an unhealthy fear. And I think Paul means both here. I mean, you and I understand that. There are things in life that we should have a healthy fear of. If, if I go to the ocean out in California and, and it's, a, it's a nasty day out there in the ocean, you know, the lifeguards and whatever, they'll, they'll put up the beach patrol, they'll put up warning signs. Either don't go into the ocean at all or be very careful, have a healthy fear. And we all know that there are people that just blow off the warnings. They do not have a healthy fear of things like an ocean. And many times they lose their life because of it. Healthy fear is good. It can protect us. It it can allow us, you know, to again experience life, but to know that there are certain things that we can only go so far. But then there's an unhealthy fear. And the unhealthy fear that Paul is reminding us of here is why he wants to persuade people to come to God. Because there are so many people around the world and throughout history who've had an unhealthy fear of God to the point where they never want to get near God. Because they feel that they have either come to learn or believe or be taught or something that God is somebody that they they have to fear in an unhealthy way. That, that he, he's just this angry God who's going to just, you know, smack them every time they do something wrong and, and all of this. And, and, and he's not. And so Paul is saying the reason why I want to make my God known to others is so that that unhealthy fear that they have of God can be changed into a healthy respect or reverence or healthy fear of God. And I love what Paul says. He uses the word persuade. It's the, it's the word that means gain respect. Paul wants to live in such a way that he gains respect from those who don't know his God yet. And who have an unhealthy fear. Because Paul understands that's the only way we're going to build bridges to people who don't know God. It, it's, it's by the fact that they need to respect us. And we need to live with such integrity that they will gain respect as they watch and observe the way we live our lives. That's why Paul goes on to say, we are well known to God. God thoroughly understands us. And I hope, he says, that we become well known to your consciences too. And the reason he uses the word conscience is because that's a word that means to distinguish. Just like the conscience usually can tell us between right and wrong. That's why Paul is saying, I want this to such a level that your conscience can distinguish that we are people of character, people of integrity. 
and that the reason we're we are trying to build relationships with you and gain your respect is so that we can introduce you to our God and so you don't have to live the rest of your life in fear of Him, in fear of death, in fear of anything. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. So Paul says, verse 12, we are not trying to commend ourselves or force ourselves on you again. What we are doing is trying to give you an opportunity to be proud of us in the right way so that you may be able to answer those who take pride in outward appearance and not what is in the heart. Paul says part of the obstacles that he was having to deal with and the Corinthians were having to deal with was the fact that it was all about appearance. It was all about externals. It was all about what was on the outside. And Paul says, if we're going to know God, it's got to be at the heart level. That's what God cares about. If the heart is right, the externals, the appearances will take care of themselves. That's why I share with people, and Paul's going to talk about this again here in 2 Corinthians, that God wants to transform us because transformation is from the inside out. And that's where God wants to work. He, He wants to start at the heart level and work inside out. Man wants to do reformation, which is where I try to clean myself up or work on myself from the outside in. And reformation may work for a while, but it's not eternal, it's not lasting, it's not permanent, it's not full of power like God's transformation is. And that's why God is just simply asking for our hearts tonight. Because if He has our heart then he can begin to work in our lives in unprecedented ways. And that's why Paul and the others were dealing with the Corinthians in this way. Because they were having to deal with people where it was all about appearance. And Paul's saying, I want you to be able to give them an answer. That it's not about appearance. That it's not about externals. That's not what really matters. It's about what's in the heart. And it's not something that we can just say to people. It's something that we've got to live. We've got to live that way. Paul says. That's why I love verse 13, because sometimes I think it really applies to me. He says, if we are out of our minds, it is for God. Sometimes I think I'm out of my mind. And Paul understands, it literally means a cause of astonishment. He says, sometimes the way you and I live as Christians, just sort of like people go, wow, (laughs) they don't understand. They call us Jesus freaks or fanatics or whatever, and, and, and we are a cause of astonishment for them. We, we hold nothing back sometimes. Other times, Paul says, in order to gain inroads and gain respect, sometimes, he says, we are of sound mind, meaning we use restraint, we hold ourselves back, and if we do so, it's for you. It's again, so we can gain respect and build bridges. But either way, one of the things that Paul was saying is, even though my goal is to persuade people to gain their respect, Paul says, I have once and for all in my life put myself out of the bondage of being a people pleaser. That it's not about pleasing people. That's why sometimes I live my life and people think I'm crazy. Because I'm not out to live my life To please people. I'm out to persuade them, but not to please them. I live, you live for the audience of one. 
He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He alone is the one you and I will answer to and be before. No other human being. And so Paul says, even though we strive to persuade, we do not get caught up in living life trying to please people. He says in verse 14, though, here is what our motivation is. You want to know what the motivation of servants of Jesus Christ should be? Verse 14, the love of Christ controls us. I love that. And this isn't our love for Christ. It's, it's coming to the realization as a Christian how much God loves me. And I love the word control there in, in my translation. It's simply a word that means two things. One, holds me together. And wow, that's a, that's a great picture because sometimes that's the way it is. If I didn't know God loved me and that He would never leave me or forsake me, there would be times in life where the pressure was so great I would crack. But, but because I know God loves me, it keeps me going and it holds me together. And Paul says that's one of the reasons why I can keep going and keep getting that second wind and keep getting myself up and, and having that renewed energy to continue with what God has called me to do. Because of that continual renewal that he gives me through understanding and realizing at a greater level just how much God loves me. And then the other thing that it means is not only does it hold me together, but it compels me. It is what motivates me. And so Paul is now saying, and here's the greatest demonstration of this love. If we want to go back to a time where we can focus and meditate on just how much God loved us, he says we've concluded this, that Christ died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised. Paul is saying here's the greatest example of love. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, left the glories of heaven and came to this earth and lived a perfect sinless life and went to that cross as the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world and spilled His blood for us because He loved us so much. He wanted to have an eternal relationship with us. And, and Christ's sacrifice was so sufficient that if every human being on earth would want Christ in their life, His sacrifice would be sufficient enough to save every human being. That's how great Jesus Christ's love and sacrifice was. Clearly, Paul is saying here that Jesus Christ didn't just come to die for some. He came to die for all. And He offers His salvation and His love and His deliverance to every human being. Sometimes we doubt that. Because we don't see the visible manifestations of that. But we've got to understand by faith that God can meet people at a heart level. That God can speak to people at a level that you and I will never know. And I believe that the Bible clearly teaches that God speaks to every human being at a level that they can understand. And if they will respond to the light that God gives them, God will continue to give them more and more light. Because I have never found anyone in the Bible who wanted a relationship with God, who desired a relationship with God, who wanted their sins forgiven that God ever turned away. He never turned away one person that wanted salvation. In fact, he continues to run after people. I think about Zacchaeus. He said, I want to come to your house today, Zacchaeus. 
What a great story. So this is Paul's motivation. Paul knows how much God loves him. And he can't help but allow the love that God has for him to overflow to others and go, not only does God's love hold me together so that I can continue to do what God has called me to do, to, to be an instrument that God can make himself known to others through me. But, but Paul says, the love that God has shown me, I can't keep it to myself. I've got to try to gain the respect of people because the reason why they're not coming to God and they're staying away from God and they're distancing themselves from God, it many times is because they have an unhealthy fear of God. And Paul says there's no reason for any of us as human beings to have an unhealthy fear of God. There's no way we could get close to God if we have an unhealthy fear. God wants us to be close to Him. I mean, absolutely close. And and the Bible says in the book of James, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And I am firmly convinced, again, by the Bible itself, That there is nothing that keeps me apart from God except me. Even as a Christian. If if I if I feel that there's a distance between me and God, it's not that God has distanced himself or left me, it's that I have left or distanced myself from God. And all you and I have to do even tonight, if we feel any kind of distance between us and God tonight, is to once again, by faith, understand how much God loves us and begin to walk towards God and God will be right there to meet us. And there can be that closeness once again. So then Paul goes on to say that when we begin to experience this and are motivated by this too, he says, we begin to see people differently. Notice what he says in verse 16. He says, so then from now on, we acknowledge no one from outward human point of view. Simply means apart from divine influence. Paul is saying, when I look at people now, I look at people differently because of the love of Christ and what Christ has done in my life. He said, I don't see people the same way I used to before I had God's love in my heart. I see their potential and I see their value where I used to not see that because I was just judging by outward appearance and externals. I would, like many human beings, Paul would conclude in other passages where if a certain person didn't have a certain social status or, or a position or whatever, that they were deemed less. Because we were judging and stereotyping and, and our prejudice and everything like that. And, and we would look at different things externally when we make judgments. And Paul says, if, if the love of Christ has truly invaded our hearts and captured our hearts, we will never look at people the same way. Because he says, again, moving on into verse 16, even though we've known Christ from such a human point of view, now we don't know him in that way any longer. He says, we don't limit our understanding to just outward human points of view. That is so limiting. We let God influence us in how we look at people. And the reason why Paul uses Christ is because Christ is a great example of that. Here he is, the Son of God. The Son of God. He comes to earth, but he comes to earth looking just like a man. So many people concluded, they look at Jesus and they say, ah, he's just Joseph and Mary's son. Because they were judging him by just an outward point of view. Oh, isn't he the carpenter's son? Didn't he come from Nazareth? I'm looking at him, I don't see really anything too special about Jesus. And so they missed 
who he really was because they did not allow God to influence their perspective of Jesus Christ. But those, even when Jesus walked the earth, who were open to letting God influence their viewpoint, then they listened to God whenever God the Father said at his baptism, this is my beloved son, hear him. They allowed divine influence. That's why when when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And his disciples said, well, some people say you're Elijah, come back from the dead. Some people say you're Jeremiah. Some people say you're John the Baptist. And then Jesus turned to Peter and said, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Simon, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father in heaven revealed that to you. See, the reason why Peter had an insight as to who Jesus really was is because he was allowing God to influence how he looked at Jesus. And so that's why Paul is using Christ as the ultimate example. If you and I would have been alive when Jesus walked the earth and we would have just judged Jesus by outward appearance, you and I would have missed the Son of God as well. But when you and I allow God to influence our view of other people, we get a greater insight, a greater appreciation, and we see their potential, which is what Paul's talking here about. I'm so glad that God, when he looks at all of us, doesn't see us for where we are, but sees us for what we could be. Do you look at yourself that way? That's how God looks at you tonight, folks. He doesn't look at you where you are. He looks at your potential as to what you could become. And so, again tonight, God is saying, don't let anyone or don't even yourself define who you are. Let God alone define your life. And let Him be the one to take you where He wants to take you. Now, it's, it's not a split-second thing. This whole thing is a process. It is a gradual process or making progress. So that's why in verse 17 he says, So then, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. What is old has passed away. Look what is new has come. It's a process. And so again, we've got to be patient with ourselves. As I share with people, God is more patient with us than we are with ourselves most of the time. And we have to understand that, yes, God sees the potential in us and we need to look at people differently too. But let's not expect them to just leap from point A to point K. We're not going to do that either. It's going to be one step at a time. And as I share with people, the New Testament of the Bible clearly teaches that none of us, no matter you know how much we desire to be like Christ, none of us will be perfect on this side of heaven. But what God is looking for is progress. Progress. That as I share, that that we're more like Jesus Christ today than yesterday, this week, than last week, this month, than last month, this year, than last year. Making progress. And I love what Paul says here. He says, if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. I love that word new. It means unprecedented. And the word creation is talking about that transformation that Christ brings. He's saying that God doesn't want to just sort of patch up the old. He wants to bring unprecedented things to your life. He wants to take you and I places where we've never been before. 
He wants to do things with us that we've never even dreamed about. If again, we will simply look at ourselves through God's eyes and see the fact that we have a God who's looking on us right now, who doesn't see where we are, but what we could become and where we could go if we won't limit ourselves and won't allow other people to limit us, but we live by God alone. God wants to bring unprecedented things into our life. And that's why he says, what is old is sort of passing its by. It's like we're living so much toward where God wants to take us that that our old life begins to pass us like looking in the rearview mirror. And though even like when we drive, you know, every once in a while we're looking in the rearview mirror, that's not our focus anymore, what's behind us. Our focus is on what's ahead, what's new, where God wants to take us. Even in the last four and a half years here at Cornerstone, many of the conversations I've had even with Christians at this church is centered around the fact that their past is something they can't get past. And over and over again, the Bible encourages us to not focus on the past, to accept Christ's forgiveness by faith and to move on with our life because God has something for us up ahead. God, again, doesn't look at us where we are right now, but what we could be. And can I just say by faith, everyone in this room, here's what we should be thinking. Our best days with God are yet to come. Our best days with God are yet. How sad is it to meet a Christian who thinks that their best days spiritually are somewhere in the past? That's not where Paul wants us to be. That's not where God wants us to be. That's not what this is all about. So in fact, notice in verse 7, he says, look. He says, take time to look to see where you've come from. Where you are now compared to where you used to be. And encourage yourself by that. Yes, I'm sure that if we were all honest, everyone in this room would say, I'm not where I'd like to be or I'm not where I should be. But how about where I used to be? And look at the progress I've made up to this point. And instead of getting stuck on the fact that I'm not where I should be or I'm not where I want to be, how about being encouraged and allowing ourselves to be encouraged by the fact that at least we're not what we used to be? Paul says, look. Look where you are. Look what is new has come and the unprecedented things that God wants to do in your life is beginning to appear And then in verse 18, he says, and let's not think that all these individual unprecedented transformations are anything about us. They come from God. They come from a God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Paul is saying through an exchange, God brought us to himself. And that's the key word I want you to zero in on for the rest of the night tonight. It's the word exchange. That's what I want you to focus on when you see the word reconciled. Because Paul's going to use that word a lot in these next couple of verses. When you see the word reconciled in the New Testament, think about exchange. If you've ever traveled in a foreign country... When you go there, we need to go through an exchange of currency. We give them this, they give us that back. 
Think about that in relationship when you see the word reconciled. Exchange. And here's why. Because Paul says in verse 19, In other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself. Not counting people's trespasses against them. That goes back to what I said earlier. That's why I don't have to fear in an unhealthy way the judgment seat of Christ. Because Paul once again clearly tells us that God will never take into account the reality, the number, the magnitude of my failures. He never will. God is not up there in heaven going, okay, Jeff Royce, yeah, there's lots of them. Let's start. Uh, One, two, three. Oh, in 1965, look at what he did there. Oh, my goodness. And just keep counting and counting. No. God doesn't do that. Why? Because Paul's going to say it all has to do with the great exchange. And he has given us the message of reconciliation. Of speaking out and speaking up about the great exchange. That's why Paul says in verse 20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Wow. We are God's representative to try to persuade men so that they come to never have a, a, any longer an unhealthy fear of God, but that they can get as close to God as they possibly can through a relationship with Jesus Christ where all their sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, and where they can continually be renewed and refreshed to face the obstacles that life will bring their way. Notice, in fact, how much God thinks of us. You want to talk about worth and value and and looking at us for what we could be? Notice God's plan. Verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God Himself were making His plea through us. Wow! God, in a sense, is saying to all of us here as Christ followers, I'm sending you to the world in my place. The next time as a Christian, you don't think God has any value on your life? Remember the fact that this is God's only plan. There is no plan B to to make Himself known to the world. You won't find a plan B in the Bible. There is only one plan. And that is that God has saved us and reconciled us to Himself through Christ and now has given us a ministry on behalf of others of reconciliation so that we go out into the world and we tell people about this great exchange that God wants to bring into their life. What is the exchange? Hang in there with me for just a few moments. Notice he says at the end of verse 20, we plead with you, our longing and desire on Christ's behalf is be reconciled to God. Literally, exchange with God. And now Paul, in verse 21, is going to give us the example of the greatest exchange in human history. As an example of a God who continually exchanges. He said, God made the one, and I believe that one is clearly Jesus Christ, who did not know sin to be sin for us, 
So that in Him we could become the righteousness of God. When even a Christian only sees their salvation in Christ as simply sins forgiven, that's only half of it, folks. Because you and I then haven't come to an understanding of what reconciliation is, the exchange. See, in the great exchange, not only has God made the one who knew no sin to be sin for us, and in a sense put all of our sin and the penalty and punishment for our sin on Christ, who took it all on Himself, but then in exchange gave us His righteousness. It wasn't just, I get my sins forgiven. I get the exchange of having the righteousness of God in place of my sin. I don't know about you, but to me, that's a pretty good exchange rate. In fact, I think that's why Paul uses it here at the end of this passage. That's the greatest exchange anyone could ever have. God, I give you my sin All my yuck, everything I've done, all my failures, everything, past, present, and even future, I give it all to you. And you give me back your righteousness. Why would anyone who really understood that exchange ever want to pass it up? But it doesn't stop there. That's the greatest exchange. But throughout the Bible, in talking about this exchange or reconciliation god calls us to come to him and exchange out lots of things god says to us come give me your weakness and i'll give you my strength in exchange in jeff royce's case for many years jeff come give me your anxiety and i'll give you my peace come give me your discouragement And I'll give you my joy. Come give me your brokenness. And I'll give you my wholeness. Come give me your ashes of your life. And I'll give you beauty in return, God says. This is the exchange. This is what God wants to do. He doesn't want to just do it the moment we accept Christ. He wants to do it throughout our whole life. He wants us to bring whatever we've got that's keeping us from being what we ought to be. And and from holding us back from the potential that could be ours. And He wants us to bring it to Him. And give it to Him and let Him exchange it for something much better. We'll never get anything better than what we can get from God. In fact, James says, every good and every perfect gift comes from God. And good there means spiritually profitable or beneficial. God only gives good gifts. Only those that He knows will truly benefit His children. But you can count on it. There have been many a day where I came to God and I said, God, I've messed up. Here's this. And God gave me something back so much more wonderful in return. With that in mind tonight, could we stand? Here's how I'd like us to leave tonight. I'd like you to ask yourself this question. Is there something tonight that I could bring to God 
And I could give it to him and say, here it is. Whether it's despair, discouragement, anxiety, broken relationship, sin, lack of joy, whatever it is. And we just say, God, here it is. And in return, that we have the faith to believe the Scriptures, that God is a God of reconciliation. He's a God who will not only take our junk, our yuck, whatever we've got going on, but He will give us something back in exchange so much better than what we're ever going to give to Him. Maybe tonight here, it's a marriage that's struggling. And you as a couple would just say, God, we're giving you our struggling marriage. Can you help us put it back together again? I guarantee you, He's the God of restoration and reconciliation. Maybe you're here tonight and you've said, I've so messed up. I just keep messing up. How long is God going to take this? Will God keep just letting me come to Him and just dump it all on Him? Yeah. Because there's no limit to God's reconciliation. Keep reminding yourself of the truth of Scripture. Paul says, God doesn't count our trespasses against us ever. He doesn't hold the magnitude, the amount, whatever, of our failures ever. All he wants to do is give us something better than what we're giving him in return. Is there something you and I need to bring before the Lord tonight and say, God, here it is. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is 1 Peter 5, 7, where Peter says, Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. And the word casting simply means that I finally, once and for all, just throw it over there. Because you and I all know that in our life, we've given God things and then we go back over and we pick it back up and take it. (laughs) And God wants us to once and for all get to a place where we say, here it is, God. I'm not coming back to pick it up. It's yours. And I am trusting you now to give me something so much better back in exchange. Because you see in me more than I see in myself. You love me more than I could ever imagine. And you see what I could be, not who I am right now. So God, I'm just going to trust you. And I'm going to take this step here tonight. And as I close in prayer, there's anyone here tonight That as we're praying, while our heads are bowed or whatever, but I just want to be very upfront with you, I also would like to pray for you if you would like me to pray for you. Maybe it's just this process of having to give this once and for all over to the Lord or bringing something to the Lord. If you just want to raise your hand tonight right where you are, And just acknowledge, Jeff, would you please pray for me? 
I've got something in my life that I want God to exchange out. I'll be happy to pray for you as well. And then don't forget, as we close in prayer, after our prayer, we just invite you out to just mingle with each other and just love on each other and get to know each other tonight. So let's pray. Let's pray. God, tonight is an opportunity for every one of us in this room to bring something to you. To bring it, to place it there, and to leave it there. And to know God in faith that whatever we bring, whether it's our brokenness, whether it's our anxiety, whether it's our hurt, whether it's our bitterness, our anger, whatever it is, Lord, that has consumed us and kept us back, God, we bring it to you and just trust in faith that you will exchange that for something so much better. And if there are those tonight that you're asking for prayer on behalf of this, would you just simply at this point just raise your hand and keep it up? Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Hands all over the auditorium. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Father, this is humbling because the magnitude of what probably all of us are bringing and dealing with in our life would be overwhelming to any of us as human beings. But God, it's not too big for you. You are the Lord God Almighty. There is no one above you. There is nothing above you. Everything is beneath you. And so God, no matter what we've got to deal with and how much we've got to deal with and how many of us have it to deal with, you can meet us. You can care for us. You can begin to heal us. And you can give us something back in return for what we tonight want to give to you. God, would you help us to do that tonight? And would you help us to leave whatever we want to leave tonight at the foot of the cross and not come back and pick it up, but to leave it there and to trust that you as God can take care of it much better than I ever could or anyone ever could. And we leave it with you. God, thank you. Thank you for what you do and what you want to do in our lives. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this Bible. And thank you, Lord, for these hundreds and hundreds of people who are here tonight to study the Bible. God, bless them. Go with them tonight. Encourage them. Heal them. Use them. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, I love you. God bless you. Have a great evening.